All right. Let me tell you what we're doing this afternoon. I'm going to take 20 or 25 minutes. Jim's probably going to do the same. And then we'll take about five minutes at the end, and we'll just take any questions that you have. Uh, we need to land this plane about five minutes till, so give everybody time to transition around for the, next, for the, for the last session. But <clears throat> this is... Um, this is a material that we developed two or three years ago. Uh, it was really driven out of a parenting conference that uh, we did here at Grace Covenant Church. And um, Jim and I both developed some material. We had a, actually did a presbytery on uh, one of the nights where we only prophesied over the kids. And so we, we developed this material called Raising Children Revelationally. You know, there's so many different books and things out there that are just absolutely tremendous as to, for instance, shepherding a child's heart, you know, how to, how to whoop your children effectively, um, you know, a lot of things about discipline, et cetera, and so forth. And, um, but the reality is we have, some unique, we have some unique tools available for us as believers. I hope you're aware of that. And we need to understand what those tools are so that we can, in turn, apply those to our parenting. And revelational parenting, it, it, from that perspective, it recognizes a number of things. And by the way, there's some outlines. Did anybody get an outline? Okay, if you did not raise your hand, there'll be some people kind of wandering around. Maybe there'll be a few extra copies. Um, let me also... Do we have any ushers handing outlines out? There's no time. Oh, they, okay. So they are. There we go. They're coming. Let me also say this is that all of the conference media, the audio, the video, and any, any materials that we have, don't get, don't get too concerned about getting a paper copy because all of it will be up on the listeningroom.org within the next 48 hours. So uh, we're not, we're not going to sell the media. It's out there for you to go get. Um, and by the way, all the media from the last three or four years from the conference, it's also there as well. So that's thelisteningrm.org, thelisteningrm.org. Sadly, when we did the URL, room was not available. So, All right, so here are some perspectives on revelational parenting. One, God is seeing something that you might not be seeing in a given moment about the life of your child. And there are times that we need to see beyond. There's that word, interestingly enough. We need to see beyond the moment that we're in. Seeing what God sees always readjusts and realigns our perspective. How many of you know that many times what you see going on in a child is not really what's going on? Come on. I mean, yes, all you're seeing perhaps is the outworking of behavior or an attitude or, or fear or something like that. But most of the time, there's something underlying that many times a child is not even in touch with, much less can verbalize. So thereby, as a parent, we need to be able to apply a different set of revelational skills to really understand what we're dealing with. We need to hear a word about our child that we can stand on, believing that God's word will not return void. And we, talk, I mean, we laugh about teenagers. I love teenagers. I had two of my own, and everybody lived through it. But the reality is you are going to go through moments in the life of your children 
I mean, and, and I don't care if they're two. I don't care if they're 18. I don't care if they're grown and they're still your kids. There's still these moments that you are going to have to see inside and call forth words that have been gone forth about them. I mean, it was written to Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy. What did he say? War a good what? Warfare were the words once spoken about you. And I can tell you that I have had to war for my children based on words that have gone before about them. Jim LaFoon's had to do exactly the same thing. We had this marvelous tradition in the church that we pastored in North Carolina that we prophesied over every baby in the church that we dedicated. And so every child that got dedicated didn't just get a little squeeze on the head and a little certificate. Is They actually got a real live Presbyterian word. And, we, and I tell you, parents, parents went back and referenced those words for many, many years. I remember prophesying in particular over one of Jim's children. And I was tragically absolutely right spot on, again, to quote the Brits. I wish I hadn't been right about that one. And Jim was enough of a prophet to know even the language I was using. If a prophet ever uses a word, world changer, over your child, you need to start praying in tongues in that very moment. Because that is, that is prophetic language for life is going to be fun. All right? It will change your world if no one else, let me just tell you. But we need more than principles or the latest parenting fad to effectively war on behalf of our children. We war with words God has spoken about them, and we'll talk more about this in just a moment. And, you know, it's fascinating to me to watch parenting fads. You know, there's always the latest books that come down the pike. And you know, our parents, coming, it was Dr. Spock, believe it or not. All right. My certain, dad never read that one. Didn't read that one? No, he didn't. He just his idea was your rear end's connected to your brain. Hit his rear end a lot and his brain will do better. Ooh, there we go. All right. <laughs> and so we go through these moments, but, but every generation seems to have their own pet books, uh, their own pets, you know, the, the, the parenting styles. The same way we watch certain educational wins kind of go through the educational system where, you know, we're, we're not going to do phonics and now we're going to do phonics. And now I've just looked at basic math and I can't even add two plus two anymore. You know, I got base 100s and whatever else they're doing out there now. So, but we see this same fad in terms of, of parenting. But how many of you know that parenting from Scripture, parenting from Revelation has nothing to do with fads? It has to do with things that God has set out in his word. Amen? Let me give you some examples from Scripture real quickly about what we would call revelational parenting. Luke 2, that story of you know, this, these young parents bringing Jesus to be dedicated. And Simeon and Anna said some really fascinating things about their kid. It says, Mary cherished these things and pondered them in her heart. And it says, his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. I mean, they would, how many of you know they probably needed these words of comfort for quite a few decades later to see everything that was going on? You know, we look at, we look at the cross, but sometimes we fail to realize that a mom and dad lost their kid in a horrible way. And they probably took great comfort in what these two old folks said at the temple that day about their son. And so many times we're going we're gonna to take these words and they, we need to store them in our hearts. Genesis 37, Joseph, 
I mean, you, we, you see the passage of Scripture here. Joseph was a dreamer. He told his dreams to his brothers. They hated him for it. But it's very, very interesting. You know, it says, what did his dad do? His father kept the matter in mind. And what's fascinating, many years later when Joseph had become their Savior, delivering them from famine, how these dreams would be recalled by his family. We see the other story over in 1 Samuel 16. I referenced it yesterday in my message, but that Jesse didn't see what was in his youngest son. His brothers didn't see it. They didn't like him much. And yet it took the prophet coming through to call forth and to call out what was inherent in that future king. We see another story. I think Jim referenced this story today. First Samuel uh, verse chapter 3, the young boy Samuel ministering before Eli. Thank goodness God was persistent because old Eli, he just had got kind of kind of fat and stupid by that time in his life and didn't quite realize that it was actually God calling out to this young prophet uh, in the making in this particular moment. But as believers, these are all just, just a handful of scriptural examples, but as believing parents, we all have unique advantages. And one of them is a prophetic vantage point from which to see and call forth that which God has placed in our children. And no one else will ever replace this relationship and the stewardship we have been given. That word stewardship, I think, is very, very important. Because I, don't, I think we need to understand that the greatest stewardship that a man and woman are given, it's not their ministry, it's not their money, it's their progeny. It's the greatest stewardship that we have. And we are not only to love our children, but we're to work with God. Say that, with God. With God. To bring them into the full measure of who he designed them to be. Sometimes we feel like the ones that have to craft the clay. But the reality is we are really working in tandem with God to see them formed into everything that God intends for them to be. So then how do we create a what we'll call revelational environment in your home, because I believe that you, you are the ones, as parents, you are going to create the culture that's in your house. And you do it with an awareness of the spirit where it becomes the norm, not the exception. Is the only time your parents see you talk about God is when you're using his name in a less than flattering way. Is the only time you talk about God is, is, is to or from church. Or is accessing the Holy Spirit, talking about spiritual things, is this normative in your household? And this can be done by being open in our communication with our children about the things of God. We often underestimate the faith and the capacity latent within our kids for sensitivity to the supernatural. And it's a sensitivity not yet jaded by years. That's a very important thing that you need to hear right here. You know, we get a little bit older, and one of the reasons it gets increasingly difficult as we get on in years for us to, to, to hear from God and believe that what we've heard really is God, that the things that God is impressing upon the screen of our imagination with visions, prophetic dreams, is so hard for us as we get older is that we just get jaded. We just think, well, you know, been there, done that. You know, that's just my imagination. I'm making that up. Children, they're good with making it up. It's great. I mean, their imaginations are absolutely rife. They're fertile at this age. 
And this awareness and openness begins by what they see in us. Do they see us respond in ways that are primarily spiritual or carnal? Do they see us actively living in faith, relying on the power and faithfulness of God? Because what they see us do forms the foundation and the pattern of response in them both now and later. Our children need to see us. I'm on page four, by the way. They need to see us handle our mistakes properly. That response includes quickly acknowledging guilt and acting for forgiveness from both those who have been offended and from God. Listen, guys, as parents, God's not called us to perfection because that doesn't exist. And whatever model you think the perfect parent is, that you're trying to somehow attain to that standard, give it up quickly. And that doesn't mean that we can't learn from some folk around us that do it well. They've done it multiple times, and the fruit is showing in their children and in their marriage. But there are no perfect kids. I mean, there are no perfect parents. And so as a result, we're going to make some mistakes. We're going to lose, we're, we're going to lose patience. We're going, to, we're going to say things. I mean, so many times, for instance, word curses that are spoken, I don't know that most parents are such sociopaths that they actually want to put curses on their children. But many times in a moment of, of weariness or frustration, something will just slip out of their mouth. Something will come out. You're stupid. Why can't you be more alike? And we say things like that, and it's, it's, we, don't, we don't, I know out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, but I don't believe for the most part most parents intend to curse their kids. And yet it's amazing how those words and you know, those of us who are in pastoral ministry and we do enter healing, let me just tell you, those words, it's amazing, they just, they act like sand spurs. They just, they get embedded deep and then things begin to grow around that wound and that pain. And many times a parent, a child will go back to their parent and they, they, they don't even remember the incident. They don't remember saying it. And that's why we have to be so quick to repent. That when we say something that comes out like that, we just say, you know what? I'm so sorry. I was tired. I was angry. That was not right for mom to say. That was not right for dad to say. Would you forgive me? And let me tell you, for a parent to go to their child and to just begin to model that, then that way when the brothers and sisters begin to pound on one another and you're trying to say, tell him you're sorry, tell him, I'm sorry. I mean, but at least they, they're having some models now. Same thing with the husband and wife. I mean, invariably, if you've, if you've lived as husband and wife longer than about 14 minutes, you know, th- there's probably going to be maybe one or two moments over a few decades that there might be some slight tension. Th- there might be a little bit of strain in the voice in a response. And don't think children can't pick that up. Hear me. Let me tell you, if your household pets know when to scurry, Seriously, I mean, if, if Fluffy and Ding Dong know when to get out of your way when you've had a bad day, don't think your children probably being a little bit more spiritually astute. You know, you say spiritually astute because we know all dogs go to heaven and all cats go to hell. We know, we, we know how that works, okay? And so Jim and, I have all, Jim and I have all had pets. He had this one cat. He just, he kept... He just kept wishing the horrible things on that cat. It was an amazing thing. Loved the dog, but didn't care for the cat much. But nevertheless, 
We all have pets because we had children. All right. And so um, then the children go to college and leave you with the pets. Have you ever noticed how that works? Sorry, I digress. But if your household pets can discern when it's time to stay clear, don't think your kids can't figure that out as well. And so just be quick to repent. Just be quick to ask for forgiveness. The next page, page five, it's a place where reality and real Christianity can coexist. If they can't see the two converge in your household, where are they ever going to see it? They're not going to probably see it at school unless you're paying, unless you've got them in, that, in a Christian environment. But they, they probably are not getting it much out there. So this is the place where it has to converge. Life isn't perfect. People aren't either. Learning to find God and find grace in a family setting where perfection is not the standard, it creates an atmosphere necessary for growth. You know, is grace being routinely extended? Husband to wife and children to children, I mean, parents to children. Is, is grace the lubricant whereby which the, all the machinery works in the house? And as parents, how you deal with your humanity and how that humanity intersects with God will form the basis for how they regard themselves and relate to those around them and to God himself. This is grace personified right here. And it's in the house where this is primarily modeled. Another way we encourage a revelational environment is an acceptance of it in our children by actively encouraging their imaginations. Sadly, an ever-increasing media-laden culture and its constant bombardments of noise and images tends to diminish and even warp the imagination of our kids. The effect of too much external stimulation is compounded by the fact that what's being placed in their minds is often not in keeping with the Spirit of God. Developing a godly imagination is one of the keys to developing the prophetic. Would you agree with that? To this end, be aware of and vigorously monitor what is being put into your child's imagination. This includes what they see you putting into yours. Uh-oh. You know, it is amazing many times that those of us that are trying to be increasingly sensitive in the spirit, men, let me just talk to you for a moment here, is that we don't mind going to a movie that has a 473 count body count. I mean, you know, kill them all. Seriously. I mean, we think that's manly. That's a man movie. Okay. And I'm not even talking, I'm not even going over on the sensual side. I'm just staying on the violent side here just for a moment. But the, the question is, what are, what are our kids watching us watch? I mean, when we say, you know, you need to leave the room now, this is something for mom and dad to watch. What are we communicating to them? I mean, what are they imbibing in their video games? What are they imbibing on the Internet with that computer that's in their room with the door closed? And you say, well, you know, I, my children, I, I respect their privacy. Heck no. Let me just tell you. As long as you're in my house and your room is in my house and I'm paying the cell phone bill and the internet connection that comes to the computer that I paid for, then I'm sorry, but anything in your internet cash is for public consumption. And I'm going to take a peek. Are you with me? Why? Because somebody has to be the guardian of what our children are feeding on, especially in our own house. I mean, come on, parents. You are pretty aware about what you put on their plates to eat. Why would you not be as much aware of what they're feeding their spirits? Hmm. 
encourage their dreams and their musings. Yes, they're children, but their dreams, like Joseph and imaginations, reflect and, and uh, an imagine, imaginative reflection are developing the part of their brain where they can more readily hear from God. You know, one of the hardest things for an adult, and Pastor Jim and I see this in, in helping people get unlocked to be able to see and hear God, is the fact that, that, that we've shut our imaginations down. Is that we, we just haven't encouraged that right brain part whereby which we see things, we can envision things. And so it's, it's, it's critical in our children that we encourage that and then tie their imaginations to Scripture. Encourage them to connect their imaginations to God's voice breaking through and speaking to them in dreams and visions. This lays the foundation for the gift and skill of vision and dream interpretation later. And then how we approach the disciplines of prayer and Bible reading also help to set the environment. While these are disciplines, and disciplines are not always fun or convenient, they should be regarded as life-giving and not laws to be executed. We must carefully set an example in these areas. Likewise with this is what I call crafting a revelational worldview. And developing a revelational worldview is part of creating a spiritual environment. As we process the events in the world today, consider them with a view to what the Word of God has to say. I mean, you're sitting around the table in the evening and, you know, maybe, maybe your child is reporting on current events at school or maybe, you know, you're commenting on something that's happening in the world. How do you, how do you not just turn it into a hand-wringing session or, uh, or, or just an exchange of ideas about something, but how do you tie that back to the Bible? How do you tie a current event back to this word and what God might be doing or saying through something? Cultivate as an important life skill a child's ability to distinguish between spirits as well. This is part of crafting a revelational worldview to discern what is of God and what is not. And while a spiritual gift of discernment can grow from this along with God's written word, this is the opportunity for learning how to discern the difference between good and evil. How many of you know that you, this might be one of the most important things that you can teach your children right here? It's not whether they can reference a set of rules that are coming from you. I mean, you've heard this, I can hear my dad's voice in my head. Well, good, I'm glad you can. But you know, more important than referencing sort of the set of rules that's been set by mom or dad is being able to hear the voice of God in a given situation and saying, step off step back. Because many times there might not be a ready rule that you can reference and, well, dad said no about this. Well, you, let me just tell you, there are still new ways of sin that are being invented every day. There's new access to sin like never before via the same wonderful technology that keeps, our, keeps buzzing in our purse. And so this is where children, the, and I believe that one of the things that... Um, uh, one of the spiritual gifts that's so under-talked about and underutilized is the gift of discernment and how critical it is that we can to help our children distinguish between good and evil. And not just by, I mean, yes, the Bible being the handbook, but in the absence of being able to reference a specific passage about a contemporary situation, how then does the Holy Spirit connect us? How does he tell us, step back? 
Because your children are going to find themselves in situations that they, again, they may not have ready chapter and verse for. But they do have the Holy Spirit resident on the inside of them that wants to talk to them. Hebrews 5.14 says solid food. What is that solid food? It's this Bible. It's the mature who by constantly use, constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. So discussing issues and looking at them scripturally develops a skill for applying the Bible. And it can also cultivate an ability to hear the Holy Spirit and make right application of what he has said. Revelational parent, I think one of the, maybe one of the most important aspects for a parent is in defining. And one of the primary roles of prophecy is defining. And the process of defining begins best in an environment that recognizes the importance of revelation and blesses and affirms such insight. And here a child can be reminded of what God has said and what he continues to speak over their lives. In this way, they're trained and armed to hang on to that which is good. Jeremiah 1, before I formed you, I knew you before you were born. I consecrated you and appointed you to be a prophet, being defined. 1 Timothy, again, 1, 18 and 19, give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies made about you so that by following them you may fight the good faith, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Knowing that which God has placed inherent in a child is not always readily apparent. This is one of the beautiful things about the prophetic. The prophetic makes apparent what is inherent. There's some that sometimes you just can't see it. Are you with me? It's just not there. To, to just, it's not on the outside. And as parents, we often feel a need to expose our kids to every type of opportunity available to them, sports, music, and everything in between. Yet this diffraction often becomes a wearying process of both parent and child. Have you ever seen parents and they're dragging their kids from, from this lesson to that sport to this class? And I mean, they are racking the miles up on the proverbial minivan. And because they feel like if I don't expose my children to everything out there, then I am being less than a great parent. So because they might be the next D1 pick, they might be the next, you know, musical superstar. I mean, they might be all this. So it's my responsibility as a parent to do what? Expose them to all of this stuff. Well, good luck with that. I mean, just the enormous amount of energy and expense that goes in that, and everybody's just exhausted. But what would happen if we did this a slightly different way? What if we were to ask God what's inside of our kids? That needs to be defined, developed, and celebrated. What if we could just look inside and say, you know what? And this is, this is what's, what's, so, what's so marvelous about um, doing presbytery over children. I remember Jim LaFoon prophesied um, over um, one of our pastors, over one of his children, and talked about and saw her leaping and jumping and doing all these types of things. And this gal became an elite gymnast as a result. And this was when the child was very, very young. And I can reference just so many settings like that where a child's course was set through Revelation. And this was before the child could even walk. But when that child, you know, got on, you know, tried gymnastics out for the first time, it's like, wow. Okay, this is in confirmation and affirmation of that prophetic word that went before. Are you with me? And we don't just have to have, again, the professional prophet. I believe, as a, 
I believe that God really gives parents the primary revelation about their children if we'll tap into it. Amen? I want to land this plane so Jim can get in here. Let me just make a few last points before Jim, uh, Jim steps up. We also need to encourage our, child, our children that it's fine to be different. You know, your children are going to find themselves in settings simply by virtue of them being believers. That they are going, they're going to have to contend for their faith. And they're going to be odd. They're going to be strange people. And, you know, if there's, any, if there's any equity that a young person has is that they want to be what? Accepted. They want a peer group. They want to be understood, quote, unquote. They want friends to hang with. And yet how many of us who've walked with God for a moment know that there are just times it's going to be intensely alone? There are just times that you're going to have to close the door. Nobody's going to really get you. I mean, if there's anybody that modeled that, it's Jesus himself. Nobody got him. They didn't quite know what to do with him. All kinds of rumors about kind of what he was and who he was. And we've got to, un- we've got to uh, let our children understand that there's nothing wrong with them in these feelings of being very, very different. Amen? God's given us warfare to fight over our kids. You can read that. And let me just, let me just land the plane with this. I think well-meaning Christian parents... Because they feel ill-equipped to raise spiritual children, they've settled for moral, well-behaved children. And the enemy tries to intimidate us as parents that we can't raise spiritual kids, so we settle for good morality rather than powerful spirituality. Do, we, you, do you want your kids to be moral? Yes. But let me just tell you, their morality better stem from a deep spirituality. Because if it's the other, it, because it, it can't happen any other way, and I see parents, and because their kids, you know, they make good grades, they they don't smoke pot, they're not sleeping around, you know, they've got good moral kids, but they stop short of pressing and raising great, powerful spiritual children. Amen. And we need to go beyond the fundamental issues of just character and morality to instill a deep love for Christ, His kingdom, and regular access to the Spirit. Amen. So I believe that revelational parenting is something that's available. I believe it's something that you can indeed learn the skills of, and we can raise spiritual children. Amen? Pastor Jim? All right. Thank you, Jim. I want to just say five things to you on um, raising your children revelationally. And Jim and I, honestly... Jim and I did this together and really enjoyed it. So I'm just going to say five things to you. And um, I've emailed Jim this outline, and this will appear on the website he mentioned. Number one, um, I've been almost 37 years, been married. Are you and Angie working on 38 now? We've been married 37 years, and we have seven children. Um, the youngest is 22. The oldest is 32. Four biological, three adopted, four grandchildren. And one of my sons and his wife are pregnant with triplets. And all I can say is I'm so glad they're going to be my grandchildren, not my children. I can't even imagine triplets. Anyway, so and I, I, what we've, we found when Jim and I did this seminar, 69 to 88% of children from evangelical families 
were leaving the church as they entered adulthood. Now, that we trust some of them come back, and I've watched them come back. So when Jim asked us to do this, and it was his idea, I sat and thought to myself, and I, I still had some kids at home then, I don't now. Um, what have I learned? And we called it something different than those. We called it three-stranded parenting, learning to, par- learning to raise your kids with the help of the Holy Spirit was like our original working title. Number one, you've got to create an atmosphere in their homes where the Holy Spirit is welcome and the presence of God can be experienced. I, I, my kids would come into my home and they go, it feels different here. And so we felt like in our home, the Holy Spirit should be as welcome in our home as he is in this auditorium. Now, we find a beautiful example of that. You're all familiar with the Ark of the Covenant, and that's a, that was that little golden box that God just kind of liked to hang around. It was a picture of God's presence in the earth. And you look at these, when you look in Scripture, you find there were times in Scripture where the Ark of the Covenant lived in a human home. And that's what's so mind-boggling. Um, you first of all find it, you find the ark being taken from Kirith-Jarim to the palace of David after the Philistines had returned the ark to Israel. It stayed in the house, first of all, of Abinadab for years. For decades, it was in the house of Abinadab. That's in 1 Samuel 7, 1 to 2. Then David heard the ark was in the house of Abinadab. So David came down to get the ark. And if you remember the story, instead of carrying the ark on stays with priests, he decided to move it in an ox cart like the Philistines. Art got a little jostled. Uzzah went out to steady it. He was killed. Everyone was afraid of it except this brother named Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom came, got the Ark of the Covenant off the streets. And we know in 2 Samuel 6, 11, God's Ark lived in his house for three months. I can't, you, can you conceive of that? This is still the day when the high priest could only go in the presence of the ark one time a year. Think of this, the ark's in your living room. It stayed there three months, and the Bible says even David heard how blessed the house of Obed-Edom was. In fact, it was that blessing that caused David to try to move the ark one more time. Also, when you do the history, you note that Obed-Edom basically moved to the tabernacle of David to care for the ark and his sons and grandsons for generations. The presence of God is addictive. Now, when David got the ark, basically before it was on the mountain, you had the the temple on one mountain, you had the tabernacle of David on another mountain later. Before then, he pitched a tent in the courtyard of his palace, and the ark lived with him. In 1 Chronicles 15, 1, it says, after David had constructed buildings for himself in the city, he prepared a place for the ark and pitched a tent for it. Now, how do we know it was in his palace? Here's how, 2 Chronicles 8, 11. Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter up from the city. This is his son Solomon. He's married an Egyptian for the sake of an alliance. This was the beginning of his problem. He married a woman that didn't love God. Solomon brought Pharaoh's daughter up from the city of David to the palace he had built for her. For he said, my wife must not live in the palace of David, king of Israel, because the ark had entered there. There was a season where the ark of God lived with David. 
and I'll give you one last verse on this point that I think is really interesting. It says in the book of um, Isaiah, I believe it's chapter 66 or 64, one through four, it says this, God says this, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, where is the house you'll build for me, where will my resting place be? God is searching. Now remember, the only reason God inhabits this beautiful auditorium is he's worshiped here, loved here, longed for. And so Kathy and I decided in our home, making God at home was our first priority. We realized that arguments, bitterness, um, unforgiveness doesn't just give place to the devil. The Bible says it grieves the Holy Spirit. We didn't want to watch anything on television that grieved the Holy Spirit. We wanted the Holy Spirit to be as comfortable in our home as he was across the street at Grace Covenant Church in the auditorium on Sundays. And so part of your job as parents, and it starts with you, is to make sure God's at home in your home. You want your children raised in a place where God is at home, to convict them, move on them, feel his presence. When Kathy and I were were dating, we called it courting back in those days, it was so long ago, but when we were courting, we cut two covenants with the Lord. You know, you get long rides on those wagons being pulled by horses, just kidding, anyway. And, and so what we, the covenant we cut was this. We, we, we asked ourselves, like, we're trying to figure it out, what's the secret of it? We boil it into two things. If we never go to bed angry, no matter how long we have to stay up, we won't give place to the devil, according to Ephesians. Two, we're up a long time. Two, maybe if we pray and read the word every night before we go to bed, we can be knit in our spirit and make room for God. Everyone has their own secrets. Jim's was just frying a lot. That's what kept he and Angie so happy. So, but humor aside, we wanted our home to be a place where God was at home, first and foremost, knowing that we needed the place of the Holy Spirit. So the kids grew up, I mean, the kids were, Peter was called to, he's a, from this church in the Middle East, has fluent Arabic. He was called in dreams. Angels would, came to Robert. I mean, so we wanted a place where God was at home. Secondly, Parents must cultivate in their children the ability to experience God's presence and to perceive and respond to his communication with them. One of the greatest things, and Jim knows this because we kind of helped raise each other's kids. We spanked each other's kids, we, all of it. I, I've known all, we've known each other's kids since they were born. And Kathy and I began to figure out, and it took a while with Andrew, I didn't get it until he was about 12, that the greatest time for your child to learn to hear God is when he's a child. That's when God came after young Samuel. One of the reasons that's the case is unbelief hasn't had time to set into their mind yet. Skepticism. And so every parent's different, but I begin to realize the one time your children, when they're young, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight in there, really settle down and slow down is at night when they go to bed. And so I decided I would coach my children how to hear God when they went to bed at night. Katie was our first girl after having three boys. We joked we liked her so much we adopted three more. Now, Katie, by this point, I was a little better at it. And night after night, I would teach her how to move in the Holy Spirit. By three, she'd try to pray in tongues with me. 
I thought it's probably fake, just making it up. You know something? Who cares? Who cares if they're imitating it? They might just go right into the real thing. And so by four, Jim remembers the story at Rocky, we, we, the church in Rocky Mount. Teacher came and says, I'm tired of your daughter. It's not fair. I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, I've been fasting. And with Jim and I as pastors, we didn't fast much at the church, to say the least. And we tried to fast every other year for a day. No, I'm just kidding. We fasted every year. And so the Sunday school teacher was on this fast. And God was convicting her, you're not reading your Bible, you're just mad all the time, you need to read your Bible. Katie raised her hand at four, she goes, Ticho? Yes, Katie. Jesus said, read your Bible, put her hand down. And so I began to realize Katie's hearing God. And here is exactly how I taught my children here, I'm going to tell you right now. Basically, I would do this, I would say, you're talking to God, he wants to talk back. And so... I was like, Katie, yes, Daddy. Say your name. Katie. I said, hmm. Now, um, say your name inside your head. Can you hear? I said, that's how Jesus talks to you, honey. I do the same. Imagine your favorite food, whatever it was. Pizza was typical. Pizza. And I said, now close your eyes. And he said, can you see your favorite food? Jesus will put pictures on your imagination. So little rascals laying there in bed, and I go, and I said, she goes, Jesus, speak to Katie. I should get rid of it. What's he saying? She goes, Jesus just said he loved Katie, Daddy. I don't even really care if Jesus said it or not. It's still true. <laughs> the fact of it is, I want to create an expectation in her before unbelief sets in that Jesus will talk. Since then, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of kids hear God. And typically with kids, one pastor goes, will you please, one of our great Ian pastors goes, will you please talk to my son? He's really hurt that God's not talking to him. That's never the case. The Bible says God speaks now one way and then another, but man does not perceive it. So your children, God's already whispering to your children. They just don't know it. When Peter was, when Peter was five, we're down on knees praying. He goes, Daddy. I said, yes. He goes, I don't want to play this way anymore. Teach me to play. Now, I've never liked to memorize bedtime prayers. If you use them, every family has their own thing. I don't like them. Um, I'm not saying they're bad. It just wasn't my style. Well, I go, and he he had already been filled with the Holy Ghost. He got filled with the Holy Ghost at Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's a great, that's what I was eating. I was eating the extra crispy, which is you got the double crisp to help help oil up your joints and everything. My wife won't let me eat that now. Oh, yeah, that extra grease keeps you, during the wintertime, your joints don't freeze up. But anyway, it's like antifreeze. Anyway, don't tell my wife I said that she only lets me have skinless chicken breast. Okay, now, so we're Kentucky Fried Chicken. We're in the line, and he's five. He goes, Daddy. He goes, I said, what? He goes, I can't stop sinning. I said, well, son, I said, you can't stop sinning at five. Why not? He goes, the devil is too strong for me, Daddy. He's five years old. I said, we're, I said we get, he's getting real hungry for that big bucket of chicken. I said, I'm going to lay hands on you right now. You pray in tongues. We order our chicken up, lay hands on him. Either the anointing of the Holy Spirit or some of that chicken oil fell on him. I don't know which. And he just burst out in tongues. So now we're by his bed a couple months later. And, and he says, Daddy, teach me to pray. I said, let's just pray in tongues, son. And whatever you hear in your head, tell me. We begin to pray in tongues. He goes, Daddy, he says, I hear these woods in my head. I said, what woods do you hear in your head? He goes, I hear these words, Daddy. Pray the world in. 
pray the world in, preach, preach. Got called to the ministry. And so one of the great things you can do to your kids is help them hear God. Thirdly, I want to say, you must properly condition the conscience of your children so they can both recognize and respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. People say, how do you know if your kids are ready to leave home? Well, you're about sick of them. No, I'm just kidding. How do you know if your kids are ready to leave home? I'm teasing. That's tongue in cheek. Three things. Can they receive from the Bible? Because if they don't, they'll stop reading it. Two, can the Holy Spirit convict them when they're wrong, when you're not present, and can they hear the voice of God? Three things I look for. And so when my kids struggled, and I had some, Robert was tempestuous to say the least. By six, no one wanted to play with him. His temper was so bad. And so what I would do to sensitize his conscience is I would give my kids scriptures that corresponded with what they were struggling with, have them write it out, say it out loud, memorize it. David said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Fourth thing I want to say is this. Maybe I only had four and I missed one, whole one here. Sorry, let me look here. Give me a second. Huh, maybe I only had 40s rascals. Well, I'll, I'll skip one. You can look at the out. Let me go to the fourth one because I don't want to take my last one. One was how to interpret the Bible. And I'll just say that about this. There's three issues with the Bible, with kids. They start with information. Then you've got to bring them to interpretation. Then you've got to bring them to application. Because if your child never gets to application, they won't read the Bible much when they leave home. Now, so when they're real little, four or five, what have you been reading? I've been reading about Jonah, Daddy. The whale ate Jonah. That's information. But by seven, I've been reading about Jonah, Daddy. Well, what's that mean? Oh, Daddy, Jonah didn't listen to the Lord, and the whale ate him, didn't he, Daddy? Yes, son, that's right. But made him stick to his stomach and spit him out. Okay. But by 10 or 11, before they begin to get reached puberty, that's not enough. I go, huh? I go, what's that mean to you? Hmm, Daddy. Daddy, does that mean if I sin, a whale will swallow me? I said, ah, a light of revelation is flooding into your head. And so what you want to do is you want to guide your children from what the word is saying to what the word means to what is that word saying to you. Here's my last one. This one is interesting. You must configure the worldview of their children, your children, to reflect the norms of Scripture, not the norms of a skeptical culture. My last one. Let me give you an example. Think about this with me. How many of you know children get scared at night? Raise your hand. There's a monster under my bed, a monster in my closet, something's in my room. Here's the average parent, especially if you're watching your favorite TV. Program. There ain't nothing in your room. Go back to bed. It's all in your imagination. You know what you're teaching your kid? There's nothing you can't see that's real. What if there's a demon spirit in their room? Well, what if there is? What if there is something tormenting in that room? So my kids would say, Daddy, Daddy, there's something in my closet. Let's come up and see right now. I'd go in. I'd say, I'm going to pray in tongues praying tongues. I said, you know something? There is something scary in this room. Is there, Daddy? I said, yeah, let's just cast it out right now in the name of Jesus. So 
instead of breeding them to become skeptics and wonder when they're 12 or 13 where they hardly believe in the gifts of the Spirit, when you've been telling them all their life, all those things they were feeling as kids weren't real, it was in their head. And so with little kids, I wanted to cultivate in them the fact that maybe you are feeling something real. Who cares if there is the devil really is attacking you? We just cast him out of your room. Now, watch this. I begin to contemplate this. How many of you have children that always, want to come, always wanted to come sleep with you every time they're afraid? I begin to think to myself, what am I teaching my children if any time they're afraid, they just run and leave their room? What am I teaching them? I'm teaching them that even though this room is theirs and they have ownership, they can be chased out of it and they can be scared out of it. It dawned on me as I began it. So here's what I thought. So they got, Daddy, Daddy, I'm scared. I go, well, great. Can I sleep with you? I said, no, but I'm going to sleep with you. I'd take their hand. I'd get in their room, and I'd get in bed with them. I'd say, this is your room. Nothing has the authority to drive you out of this room. If the devil's scaring you and you're afraid, this is your room. We're going to drive him out of your room. And you're not going to be afraid to sleep here. So, plus I'd want a bunch of kids in bed with me all the time. That's another story, though. Don't cut that out of the tape, Jim. Anyway, it doesn't sound too good. Now, watch this. So, you get a bunch of kids, I mean, the marriage bed becomes the family bed. It's like a zoo in that bed. Squiggling, wiggling, covers throwing all around. Anyway, so, okay, now, watch this. So, I get in that room, and I say, let's stand up right now, I say, and I tell them, Jesus, this is my room. And I command this fear to leave my room. Sure enough, it ended. Because I figure this, if they start running from the devil when they're small, when are they going to stop? And I figure when this, if the devil can run them out of their room, is he going to run them out of their marriage later? Is he going to run them out of their business later? And I'm not, I'm not saying if kids are sleeping with you, they're going to be destroyed. I am saying think about it. Think about what you're teaching them. Think about it for a minute. So these are the five things I've learned. Okay. Great. Thank you, Pastor Jim. Once again, Pastor Jim's outline will be available for you on that website. So Same, the one I've done the last two days. Sorry. The one I've done the last two days will also be available on the website. How did that water work for a microphone? I'm just curious. That was, well, you know, brother, if I mean, it was I, iced tea, it would have worked better. Well, I know Jesus turned water into wine. I know if you turned water into a microphone, I was just, it, that would have been powerful. It sure would have. All right. Well, we are, we are sadly out of time. Thank you so much. Trust this was helpful for some of you. And so if you just want to hang around, those of you who are in here, stand up, stretch a moment. We're going to set up and we're going to finish up here with a, uh, a little panel. Thank you.